Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's take a look at some underground cryptids, some cave cryptids, some tunnel cryptids. Don't worry, you're going to get what I'm saying pretty damn quick, it's not that difficult. But first, as always, we have shoutouts, I have a couple more people that complained about, oh, it's six minutes in and all he's doing is shouting out random people. No, 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 I'm not. I'm shouting out the people that make this show possible. There is a skip button. I suggest you don't skip it because, again, without these people, there'd be no show. But if you're so inclined, feel free to skip it. I can't imagine what these same people think about, like, the WTF podcast where Mark Marin talks about whatever he wants for, like, 20 minutes. Relax. It's, like, five minutes. We got shout-outs to Aaron, Aaron, ah, Monsters! Lorne and David, Alicia, Amber, Andrew, Angie, April, Ariel, Seth, Audra, Austin, Autumn, Bob, Brandon, Carolyn, Chuck, Cindy, Cole, Dan, Devin, Dill, Dorian, Elliot, Erica, Aaron, hi Aaron, Harvey, Heidi, I, Isabel, J Mark, Jade, Jaime, Jason, Jeff, Jeff, Jenny, Jennifer, Jared, Jerry, Joe, Joanne, John, Joshua, Juliana, Catherine, Kelsey, Kimberly, Kira, Kyle, Laura, Laura, Laura Ruth, Lauren, boy, there's so many Lauras, I love this again, uh, Lawrence, Leo, Lindsay, Lorraine, M. Caballero, Martin, Matt, Matt, Megan, Eric, Milo, Nanashi, Nick, Pablo, Paula, Rachel, Reed, Rosa, Sarah, Sarah, Sean, Shelly, Sonny, Suzanne, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Trey, Troy, and Veronica. This is the first shout-outs of 2020 for you guys, but, and again, hopefully no one skipped, I want to do a very special shout out to all my Australian listeners. Please be safe. Please make sure. I hope you're all okay. I really, really do. If you guys don't know, and how could you not know, Australia is on fire. It is terrible. It is horrific. It is horrifically sad. So if you want to donate, please go to one of the following. I'm going to put these links on the Facebook as well. But I mean, it's very simple. The first one is redcross.org.au. The second one is donate.vinnies.org.au, and that's donate.vinnies.org.au. That's the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Both of these charities, or any charity, however you want to help out Australia, please donate to them. If everybody listening gave $1 to help Australia... It would go a really long way to helping out a lot of people in one of the worst instances in recorded time, really. The whole continent is on fire. It's terrible. Okay, so Australian fans and listeners, please be safe. I hope nothing but the best for you. With that, let's get right on into Paranormal News. 
up in paranormal news, Mysterious Lights Hovering Over Mesa Skies Sunday Night Puzzles Residents. Mysterious Lights Hovering Above the East Valley have many wondering if we've had a close encounter. It was pretty bright, it was straight up over here, and it went straight that way, stopped, and it didn't seem like it was this far, like it was too far. They said the object seemed to come from the southeast. It started moving kind of diagonal across. I was trying to figure out which way it was heading, and that's when we noticed it started dropping things from it. And it wasn't just us. Our neighbors next door, they were out, they weren't even filming, they were more in amazement like statues, just watching it. So it very well could be flares, could be military testing, could be a lot of stuff, but I don't know what it is, so it goes in paranormal news. Up next in paranormal news, Treasure Coast New Year's UFO has been explained. Now I actually had the original story as a paranormal news for last week's episode. Don't worry. You probably missed it, or you didn't miss it. You probably didn't hear it. Uh, it's because I didn't get to it. I was going to do it on New Year's Day, and then something came up. I went out and about. I didn't have an opportunity to record on New Year's Day, so now you get this episode. So, was it a rocket, a missile, a UFO? Early risers who were out watching the New Year's sunrise on the beach saw something. I knew what I was looking at was either a missile or a rocket, but that wasn't what it was. There were several reports seeing the object with a fiery trail from Vero Beach to Jensen Beach in the moments before the sunrise. They said it looked like a rocket, you know, it could be aliens. Well, there is a very simple explanation for what it was. It was actually the contrail, not chemtrail, the contrail of a plane being illuminated by the rising sun. And I gotta say, it really does look like a missile or a rocket is taking off into the sky. It really didn't look like a UFO to me. I'm shocked that so many people jumped to UFOs. But, if you were in Florida and you saw something, don't worry. It wasn't a missile, it wasn't a rocket, and it wasn't aliens. Up next in paranormal news, yes, I'm going to be talking about politics here for a second, but I am not talking about politics here for a second. Amy Klobuchar says in interview she will declassify UFO documents if elected president. Democratic Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, I guess, who was running for president in 2020, said in an interview she would declassify UFO documents if she's elected president. The only reason I'm adding this to Paranormal Almanac is because we have another person in politics who also wants declassification of UFO documents, and that's very important. No matter what side you lie on with politics, here's a politician wanting to release UFO documents. I love that. Wanting to declassify, I guess, UFO documents. You know what I'm saying. And I love it. Up next in paranormal news, Helen Sharman. Now, it's she's a doctor. Dr. Helen Sharman told The Observer magazine that extraterrestrial life is bound to be somewhere in the universe. Aliens exist. There's no two ways about it, she said, adding that there must be all sorts of different forms of life among the billions of stars. Now, Dr. Sherman made history when she traveled to the Soviet space station Mir in May of 1991. The chemist, who now works at Imperial College London, added that although aliens may not be made up of carbon and nitrogen like humans, it's possible they're here right now 
and we simply can't see them. Now, in the interview, she also highlighted her frustration at being referred to as the first British woman in space rather than simply the first Briton. And I got to agree with her on that one. It's telling that we would otherwise assume it was a man. So I love this woman. I think she's phenomenal. She's very cool. I looked her up after I found this story. I love everything about her. And I completely agree that aliens are here, whether we can see them or not. Okay, with that, that's the end of Paranormal News. If you have a Paranormal News jingle and you want to send it over to me, please send it over to paranormalalmanac at gmail.com or even a theme song. That's right. I am now taking submissions for Paranormal Almanac theme songs. I think it'd be fun. I can't wait to see what you guys come up with because you guys are incredibly talented. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac. Okay, we are back, and I want it noted that that was nine minutes. It was barely like two minutes of shout-outs. Barely two minutes. Anybody can sit through that. Like I said, without them, there would be no show. Then there was seven minutes of what I think are very good paranormal news articles. But again, if you don't like that part, just skip ahead until you get to right after the break. Okay, we're back. And that's where we are right now. On this edition, I was originally just going to tell one story, make it a really short, like a half an hour episode. But I quickly found a bunch that were kind of like it. So now it's a whole episode about underground, cave, tunnel. Well, I guess that's it. Underground, cave, tunnel, or sewer cryptids. Also, I usually save the reason I started researching the episode for the last, but uh, this time, I'm going to start with an incredibly weird, incredible story all the way from Canada. Toronto, to be exact, the date was August of 1978. A man named Ernest, sadly, that's all we have to go on, but don't worry, I'll get back to that in a minute, was out looking for one of his kittens that wandered away. So, Ernest lost a kitten, started freaking out, he had a bunch of kittens at home, started freaking out, it's like, I gotta find this kitten, grabbed a flashlight, started going out looking for him. So, so far, really like Ernest. So he goes out, and he looks behind the Parliament Street Apartments. I'm assuming it's Parliament Street and not Parliament uh, Saint. It's, it's got to be Parliament Street. Parliament Street Apartments, where he and his wife lived. Now, as he's looking in and under everything for the kitten, he stumbles upon, well, it's a small dark cave. Now, it's just big enough to, for him to crawl into. And I don't mean that there's just a random cave between his building and the next building. It looks like something kind of washed away. There was cement and it made a cavern or a cave, if you will, in the smallest sense of the word. So there's this small dark cave, just big enough for him to crawl into. And he crawls about 10 feet into it. And that's when he said the following. I saw a living nightmare that I'll never forget. What did he stumble upon? Well, it's now known as the Cabbage Town Tunnel Monster. Now, he said that he, they, he said that the monster was long and thin, almost like a monkey, three feet long, large teeth, weighing maybe 30 pounds with slate gray fur. However, it was the eyes that truly stood out. It was eyes that scared him the most. He said they were orange and red slanted. Now, he told the story to the Toronto Sun reporter, Lori Goldstein. Now, I contacted him, Lori, that is, and he verified that he did the story for the paper, but 
Unfortunately, that's all he would say. I said, hey, are you the same one that wrote this incredible cool story? He said, yep, that's me. I said, oh, well, that's awesome. I have so many follow-up questions. Here's a list if you don't mind. Silence. Now, if he gets back with me, I'll definitely do an update on this one. But as of right now, at the time of recording, radio silence after saying, yep, that was me. Anyhow, so Lori actually sought Ernest out. And Ernest said to him that the creature actually spoke to him. I'll never forget it, he said. It said, go away, go away, in a hissing voice. Then it took off down a long tunnel off to the side. I got out of there, I got out of there as fast as I could. I was shaking with fear, he said. Now, he was afraid that people would think that he was drunk or worse, crazy, and felt that no one would ever believe him. So he didn't go to the papers. He didn't seek out fame. That's one of the key reasons that I believe this story. So he did tell his story around to a friend and co-workers, and one of the friends that he told the story to had a friend at the Toronto Sun and said, hey, you gotta, you got to talk to this guy. He said he would agree to talk to the newspaper only if his last name was not revealed. And as far as I can find anywhere, it never has been. Now, he said in the article, I'm in the phone book, and I couldn't stand to be contacted by a bunch of cranks. So that's this key second part that makes me think that there's something to this story. Again, he's not looking for fame. He's not using his name. He's not going out to UFO conventions or trying to make a buck telling his Cabbage Town Tunnel monster story. The exact opposite. He told the story once to a reporter, and as far as I can find out, once he told it to Lori Goldstein, that was the end of it. His wife said at the time... I believe Ernie saw exactly what he said he did. He was terrified when he came back to the apartment, and he doesn't scare easily. Look, he's been known to have a drink in the past, like most people, and occasionally tie one on, but he is not a drunk, and he was not drinking at all that day. Now, Lori, the reporter, did question others about Ernie's sanity, and they all said he was sane and not prone to making up stories. Now, I should mention that Ernie... That Ernie, Ernest, I should mention that Ernest did have a flashlight on him when he went looking for the kitten. Which, by the way, I couldn't find out if he ever found it. There is a tiny, sad cattail coming up, so beware. But, so it wasn't like he was in a dark tunnel with no light and bumped into like a bum or a chud or something. He shined the flashlight right on it. That's when he saw those eyes. That's when he knew it was that slate gray fur. That's why he had such a good description of this creature. All right, so Laurie asked to see the tunnel at the time, and Ernest took him to where it was. The cave was real. Laurie, again the reporter, has no reason to lie. He said he saw the cave. He said the cave's entrance was located at the bottom of a narrow passageway between Ernest's building and the one next door. Lori and Ernest did find a corpse of a cat just inside the entrance, which was half buried in the entrance to a tunnel. I don't think it was the kitten. God, I hope not. But still, boo to the Cabbage Town monster or tunnel monster, whatever he's called, or whatever it was that killed that poor cat. But Lori did say that a concrete slab had fallen during the winter, making it impossible to get in as far as Ernest had gotten when he ran into the creature. Ernest said, the last time I saw the creature, it was heading off into the dark. Now, Lordy did say that the passageway seemed to drop down very quickly and go a long way back. So they could see in there. They just couldn't get in there anymore. They figured that the tunnel was caused by erosion under the slab of cement 
and that it probably led to the sewer system. Now, Toronto's sewer system closed off the rest of the tunnel for safety concerns, and I'm talking about, like, children getting stuck in there, not because a monster yelled at Ernest. So they closed it off. They said, nobody else is going in there. Now, one worker who was quoted in the paper stated, people who work on the surface just don't know what it's like down there. It's a whole different world. Who would have thought a few years ago that people would live in the sewers, and yet that's what they found in New York a few years back? And he's right, they did. Another sewer worker said, I don't know what he saw down there, but I'll tell you one thing. If I could get in there, if we could all get in there, I sure as hell wouldn't want to go down alone. Now, in fact, I did find this out when I never, I never knew this about Toronto. I found this out when I was investigating this story. Much of Toronto had waterways and streams that were built upon as the city grew, and they became like these underground tunnel systems or underground waterways. So there's a lot to this story that seems valid, that seems real. But let's jump ahead to a more modern time in the same exact area as the tunnel monster where this piece of shit neo-Nazi named Ernst Zundel lived nearby on Carlton Street. Now, he is a hollow earth fanatic that was convinced there were creatures living underground in the hollow earth. Now, he had a theory that they occasionally came to the surface. So it all kind of lines up, but... It looks like it was just a coincidence he was in that area. He'd been in that area for quite some time before being kicked out of Canada for, you know, being a Nazi piece of shit in 2005. Now, a lot of sites say he was investigating the Cabbage Town Tunnel monster, but I can't find any evidence he ever did anything connected to it. All right, enough of that side note. Let's talk about other similar creatures that were known by the native peoples to live in that exact area. They were called Meime Gwesi, or Managishi. Now, in case you didn't know what they are, they're a race of trickster people in Cree folklore, similar in nature to the Meime Gwesi of the Ojibwa tribe. Now, they're described as semi-humanoid with very thin and lanky arms and thin and lanky legs with big heads, sometimes minus a nose, with a strange voice. There's also another one, the Algonquin tribes, have stories of man-like hairy creatures that thrived in these rivers before they were torn up or paved over for the growing cities. Now, these have been seen all over Canada and in the very region that Ernest saw the Cabbage Town Tunnel creature. So we have native people stories going back centuries about creatures just like it in those exact areas. So when they were paving over Toronto or paving over the rivers to make Toronto it's very feasible that something kind of went underground instead of staying with the rivers. Like I said, there's a lot to this story. The fact that there's a newspaper article that was written right at that time. The fact that this guy, Lori Goldstein, is a reputable journalist and doesn't write about a bunch of weird shit also leads me to believe there is something to this story. It's a very interesting story. I really, really liked it. Like I said, this was going to be the main story of the night. I'll actually post the, uh, I'll post like a photo of the article from the Toronto Sun, March, whatever it is, it's too small for me to read right now, 1979. I'm actually going to post that photo on Facebook. If I remember, I'll post it on Instagram, but it'll be really small, really impossible to read the lettering on Instagram. I don't even know if you'll be able to read it on, on uh, Facebook, but hopefully you will. Alrighty, from there, let's go over to Centerville, Illinois in May 9th, 1963. Now, even though the sightings took place in Centerville, 
it's right next to St. Louis. So this became known as the St. Louis Monster. First, let me read you a newspaper article from May 24th, 1963. What I like is this episode started with a lot of very cool stories with newspaper articles, with credible things that I could read about the story to prove that they were real at that time and not made up years later for the internet. So two for two so far with credible articles. St. Louis Monster reports spread. Police checking calls find nothing. Reports of a monster, half man and half something else, spread through the St. Louis area again Thursday. Several children first reported seeing the thing at a housing project on 9th Street about two weeks ago near downtown St. Louis. They said it had disappeared into an old subway on 12th Street. Those kids were sincere. They saw something patrolman Bill Contro of the St. Louis Police Department told the Associated Press. Now, Contro said that the children told him the being was half man and half woman, with a half bald head and a half head of hair. Supposedly, the policeman said, it scuffled with a man near the Patrick Henry School, but I couldn't find the man it was supposed to have fought with. Sunday, Centerville, Illinois police received the first call on a monster in that area just across the Mississippi River from St. Louis. We have received more than 50 different calls since then, Centerville Police Dispatcher Earl Harris said. Police cars rushed to the scene and found nothing. One man, James McKinn, said the monster was in front of his house. He told me it was half man and half horse. But one woman told me she wasn't sending her kids to school until we caught whatever it is. Most of the monster calls have been at night. Three calls were received in Centerville on the, the, on the thing Thursday. Contro thinks it might be a man dressed up like a monster. All right, so that's a newspaper article from that exact time. Like I said, this isn't some modern internet creepypasta bullshit. There are actual news sources from the time. On May 9th, this hairy wild man creature thing was spotted, then the sightings just kept coming. Like you just heard, the police said they were getting an average of 50 creature sighting calls a night. Some were really up close. There were frantic calls from people who spotted the creature in their own yards, and one reported the creature actually attacking a man. No one described it as a homeless man. They all described it as a hairy creature. Now, witnesses saw it come out and go into or go down into sewers or tunnels. Then there's this little bit of a grain of salt report from local kids who said that a creature that looked half man, half woman, and a half and with a half bald head and half a head of hair was often seen lurking around a housing project in St. Louis on 9th Street. And then they witnessed it go down into a tunnel on 12th Street. Now, here's the thing. Besides that really fucked up couple of descriptions, one guy said it was half man, half horse. He saw a centaur. These kids, half man, half woman, half bald head, half head of hair, that doesn't sound like somebody, some guy dressing up like a monster trying to freak people out because the stories are very diverse. But why are the stories so very diverse? That's not a good indicator of these, you know, them seeing the same thing over and over again. More oddly, as quickly as the sighting started they stopped. That was it. Whatever the St. Louis monster was, it's gone. It was never seen again. Alrighty, from there, let's go to another one with a newspaper article at the time about it. Three for three. I'm loving it, but don't worry. They start to go south real quick. Okay, the May 14th, 1982 edition of the Herald Journal in Syracuse, New York, 
reported that residents of Buena Park, California, were seeing an eight-foot-tall, hairy man-like monster coming out of their sewers. It became known as Buena Foot, and if you thought 50 sightings was impressive for a sewer, hairy, monster creature guy, well, Buena Foot had over 200 sightings. And between 200 and 500 calls from worried citizens asking about their safety. The police there had their hands full. They even organized a monster watch, but that failed to find the creature. But while monster watch was happening, two men using divining rods, which I normally say bullshit to, said they successfully tracked Buena Foot and that they found huge handprints and footprints. Now, the footprint was seven inches wide from the ball of the foot, but they never spotted the Buena Foot in the drainage tunnel where they found the handprints and the footprints. Frank Missinelli, who was the manager of an apartment building near the drainage ditch, said he heard the beast but did not see it. He said it roared and growled just like the dinosaurs in the movies. Then, a story from another newspaper mentioned Buena Foot in an effort to calm the residents down. This one's from the San Bernardino County newspaper from May 16, 1982, so only two days later. And that article says, Buena Foot makes tracks out of town. Sorry, Monster Watchers, police say that Buena Foot, the creature initially reported as an eight-foot-tall, hairy, and very smelly beast, may merely be a long-haired transient. That conclusion is based on a photograph taken by freelance photographer John de Herrera. In it, uh, it shows the back of a long-haired man naked from the waist up and carrying what appears to be a bedroll. De Herrera said that he took the photograph Thursday from his van about a half mile from the sighting location. He smelled pretty bad. He was a half a mile from this guy. I don't care how bad this transient smelled, you're not going to smell him from a half a mile away. De Herrera, De Herrera said he was about six foot four, my best estimate. De Herrera, who said he was tracking the monster in hopes it was truly a rare phenomenon, said that the man was a blonde Caucasian, but appeared very dark because of dirt and grease. The man refused to talk. He said he just kept right on going. Oh, I guess maybe that's how he knows how he smelled. Asked where the man was heading, De Herrera quipped, towards Fullerton. So there you go, Fullerton listeners. We haven't gotten him yet, so we can't close the case, said Buena Park Police Sergeant Art Fontecchio. Fontecchio? Whatever. Asked what offense the man might have committed, he joked, being smelly in public. Ha ha ha. Our police department does such a good job, I think we chased that sucker into Fullerton. Okay. So, here's a really dumb photo. There's two dumb photos. This is clearly... A hippie with no shirt on. And a bedroll under his arm. Just a hippie. That's it. I seriously, seriously doubt that over 200 people mistook a 6-foot-tall hippie for an 8-foot-tall creature. I seriously doubt it. I can't believe that. But we may never know. Alrighty, up next is another one with a newspaper article from the time, and this one is from March 5th, 1981 edition of the New Valley Dispatch of Pennsylvania. Now, it's about a group of kids exploring the sewers Goonies style near Kensington, Pennsylvania, when they saw... Can you guess it? Guess what they saw? If you said a hairy, wild man creature, you are wrong. Nope, these kids spotted a four-foot-tall dinosauroid humanoid with a thin tail. That's right. 
a humanoid-looking dinosaur with a thin tail. So, what did the kids do? Did they peacefully follow it or try to communicate with it? Nope. The little dickhead started chasing the scared dinosaur thing and even grabbed it by the tail until it shrieked. Supposedly, one of these little fuckers actually tried to douse it with gas and burn it, but luckily it ran away. Now, if this was a four-legged creature, I personally, me, Kurt, I would guess it was a coyote with mange. You know how, like, every chupacabra sighting turns out to be a coyote with mange? I would have said that's totally what it is. But they didn't say that. They clearly said it was humanoid, it was walking around on two legs, and this thing became known as the New Kensington Green Thing. So here's a little piece of the article from the New Kensington Green Thing. Green Thing sparks rumors. Along the railroad tracks by Constitution Boulevard and North Street, a young woman saw a group of people pointing to a dark opening in a sewer drain. How come everyone keeps gathering here, she asks. There's a monster down there, said Bill Menhart 13. Menhart knows. He said he was one of the four boys, the dickheads, who saw a green thing hiding by the sewer drain last Saturday night. One of the other four, an 11-year-old New Kensington boy, told police he grabbed the short creature from behind, but it squealed and escaped. It looked like a baby dinosaur, a lizard, about two feet. It has a big tail. All right, now this kid's saying it's only two feet, not four feet, but again, still walking around like a human. All right, back to the story. Since the teenage boys made their report to police, rumors about a green man or strange creature arising from the sewers have spread through Arnold and New Kensington like fire in a haystack. Police have been besieged by phone calls from worried parents who heard reports their children brought home from school. Most people were taking the reports with a sense of humor. However, a postal carrier walking by the track smiled when she saw the group around the hole. Is that where the little green thing is supposed to be, she asked? Taking the reports more seriously is Bob Gorman, a UFO buff who researches unexplained phenomena. Gorman, who spent much of the past two days walking the tracks in New Kensington and, and Arnold, searching for evidence, I think if it exists, it's moving upriver, he speculated. Gorman is convinced the creature is harmless. However, his sketch of what was supposedly seen by the boys does kind of look like the creature from the Black Lagoon. After learning of the report from Arnold Police, he laid out apple slices by the sewer opening. Why? Because creatures like this seem to go for fruit, he explained. Creatures like what? What creatures is he talking about? He's a UFO buff. What creatures like to go for fruit? I don't get that part of it. Did it work? Well, no. The technique did not work, however. The rats and rabbits got the fruit. The 11-year-old boy who supposedly collared the beast from behind with the full Nelson has given police a drawing, reprinted here, of what he encountered. So it's good to know that kids today are just like every other human. If you see something different, kill it with fire. That's not the way to handle something. If you see something like a creature, some kind of dinosaur-like humanoid, don't full Nelson it, don't grab its tail, definitely don't set it on fire. That's a terrible thing to do. Alrighty, speaking of green things, nice segue, Kurt. This next one comes in the Grain of Salt story time. All right, it's from 2008 in Anaheim, California, when a woman was out walking her dog. I have to say, little sideline here, I love how every site says, woman was allegedly out walking her dog. What exactly are they implying? I can safely say 
This woman was out walking her dog. In fact, that's about the only part of the story that I really believe. Anyhow, so she's out walking her dog when she saw a greenish creature staring up at her from the sewer drains. Now I'm talking like Pennywise style. She looks into the storm drain, which I won't do because of Pennywise. And when she spotted it, it looked up at her and then actually started crawling out of the sewer towards her and her dog. Nope. So she ran away. She puts the dog in the back of a pickup truck and then jumps into the bed of the pickup truck herself. She's freaking out. She calls her boyfriend at their nearby apartment and says, you know, like, there's this freaking green creature. He's coming at me. And as she's on the phone with him, she says other green creatures began to, quote, file out of the sewer and gather around the truck she was cowering in. So she's screaming out in horror. Her boyfriend shows up. He's got a golf club with him, and he just starts swinging and hitting every little green creature he can while he's screaming his lungs out. Now, this seemed to work, and they all went back down into the sewer. Now, he described them as being very large, reptilian, with big, sharp teeth. Okay, here's my problem with this story. There are no names, no definitive locations. Anaheim's a big place. That's as close as we can get. No newspaper articles. More importantly, because this story was from 2008, there is no social media stories from the time it happened. No police report was ever filed, and the creatures were never seen again. It seemed to me that if there were a whole family, whatever you want to call it, of reptilian creatures snacking on women and their dogs in the sewers of Anaheim, it would have been a bigger story. And if this is an isolated incident, what the hell were these things? Neither her nor her boyfriend said, Oh, it was an alligator, or a crocodile, or a Gila monster, or an iguana. They said they didn't know what it was. They just said, very large, reptilian, with big, sharp teeth. So, again, definitely grain of salt time on that one. And speaking of grain of salt time, that leads us to the next story. This next one is bizarre. And definitely huge grain of salt time. Probably debunk time. But it's not only bizarre because of the creature seen in it, but because of the tunnels themselves. The tunnels are called the Carthage Underground, and they're in Carthage, Missouri. So let's start with the tunnels themselves. They're owned by Americold, which is a major temperature-controlled warehousing and transportation company based in Atlanta, Georgia. Americold holds 43 million square feet of the quarry much of which is occupied by warehouses or factories. And when I say of the quarry, I mean underground. All of this is underground. 43 million square feet with warehouses and factories, primarily for food production or preparation or storage. The total area of the underground is really difficult to trace, but it's rumored to stretch as far as Joplin, Missouri, which is roughly 20 miles from Carthage. These tunnels are huge. I am talking massive. Dozens of 18-wheelers fit in there with no trouble at all. These are two-story caves. Trucks go in them all the time to drop off food and make deliveries. These tunnels are real. 
They are not secret underground bases like some say. Look, there might be secret underground bases underneath or connected to or part of these tunnels, but the tunnels for Americold, they're real. You can see, you can like find videos of these caves and the tunnel systems on YouTube. They do exist. Like I say, I'm not saying that there aren't more tunnels here that the public doesn't know about, but the majority are known well to the residents there. Now, there are pretty substantiated rumors that there are tunnel systems like these all under America. Trucks can drive for days, for like the full day, completely underground. So we know the tunnels are real. So now, now let's get to that, uh, that monster story. Again, grain of salt time. Look, I'm just going to tell you the story, then I'm going to play devil's advocate, okay? The story takes place in 2004 when two guys, both unidentified, huge red flag, were riding their ATVs in the tunnels. This seems to be real. People go to offshoots of those tunnels and just tool around and just be jerks underground. So that part I can kind of get behind. So they're eight miles into the tunnels. Remember that. Eight miles in and underground. That'll come up later. So they're eight miles in when they see a sign that says Naval Authoritative Zone. They ignore the warning and keep going. They keep going deeper. They said the walls were smoother and more advanced looking. Then they said they passed through on their ATVs going pretty damn fast. They passed through what they thought would be a solid wall of rock, which thankfully for them turned out to be a holographic projection. All right, this one I'm going to talk about here instead of at the end of it. Okay, so they're just heading in. They're going straight into a wall on ATVs, and luckily it turned out to be a holographic projection? Bullshit. But I'm with the story. All right, so they're, they said that the ground was spray-painted with odd graffiti, and this system of tunnels seemed really old. You know how, like, everyone knows what old tunnels look like compared to new ones, especially when they're covered in old graffiti? No, nobody knows that because it's stupid. But let's keep going. But that's when they noticed that they were being watched. That's right. They said they saw humanoid reptilian creatures, two of them, about 30 feet away. One of the creatures was apparently seven feet tall with reddish color. The other one was six feet tall and pale whitish color. So these two guys, they freak out, they turn their ATVs around, ATVs around, and they go back through the holographic wall. One of the reptoids starts chasing at them at a very fast speed. All right, so one of the guys said that when he looked back, he could see that the thing had raised its arm, which was tipped with a clawed hand holding some sort of weapon. Now, it fired this weapon and hit one of the ATVs, causing the engine to die. All right, here's a quote from one of the unnamed guys. We passed through the wall projection. I looked back and I saw the thing raise its arm and it had a weapon of some sorts. It fired and hit the ATV my friend was on. The engine died and he stopped. I told him to jump on and he did. I gunned it and then my friend said, stop. I slowed, it. I slowed down and he said, look. I looked back and the thing had stopped at the graffiti on the cave floor slash road. The ATV was on its side the ATV was on its side of the graffiti symbol. It was obvious that the thing would not cross the marking. I slowed more. We were now about 75 feet away. I stopped and the three of us, me, my friend, and the creature reptile man thing, 
just looked at each other for about 15 seconds. Now, let me tell you, this is a long time. Then I started to leave. It stayed there waiting and not moving until we were out of sight. As soon as we cleared the cave, I got on my cell phone and called the sheriff's department. The sheriff's department told him that underground security would handle it and hung up. So this underground security shows up almost immediately. Okay, that's the guy's story. They managed to get away. As soon as they went through that holographic wall and were down the cave wall a little bit, he immediately calls the sheriff's department. So the sheriff's department hangs up. The underground security said they, you know, they said underground security would handle it. Underground security shows up almost immediately. He says, we were told to leave, not to tell anybody about this, that if I came back, the Navy would press charges. I was also told that I had 10 minutes to leave or I'd be taken in. What can I say? We left. It has been three days since this happened and I'm still shaken. I'm a powerful person, six foot four, 265 pounds, and never in my life be afraid for my life until this past until this past Sunday. I lost one of my two ATVs. As far as I know, it's still down there. My friend will not talk about it, and I've not heard anything from anyone about it. I did call the sheriff's department, and they said they never got a call from me. Well, that's my story. I've never had anything strange in my life happen to me, and I'm very concerned about this. I can tell you this. I had an urge to kill the things I saw down there. I don't know if that's a natural reaction as most people have a natural revulsion towards reptiles or because of my faith and the feeling of evil I had or what. All I know is that they're real and I wish I could do something, anything to combat or help against these things. Take care and thank you again for letting me write this and share this experience. Okay, here are my many problems with this story. First, it's 2004. Cell phones had cameras then. Yet, no pictures whatsoever. Two, the big one. No names in this story ever. Three, they said as soon as they got past the holographic cave, they called the sheriff. Remember? Eight miles in the tunnel and underground? Nope. Four, the whole Wiley Coyote part of the wall thing. If I'm going full speed on an ATV towards a wall, I'm an idiot. Thankfully for these guys, like I said earlier, thankfully for these guys, it was a holographic projection, but what was the best case scenario in that? Were they just waiting to see what was going to happen? Like, I mean, seriously, they went all the way down. They went eight miles through these tunnels to just go balls out towards a wall? Makes zero sense. Where was I? Five? Five. The underground security. There is no descriptions of the uniforms. No descriptions of them at all. Yet they said that the Navy would press charges. Seriously? The Navy? Look, I don't know much about the Navy, but I'm pretty sure the Navy deals with water and not tunnels or reptoids. Six, why would they need the Naval Authoritative Zone sign if it led to a seemingly dead end? Also, what the hell does that sign even mean? If I saw that sign, I wouldn't think I needed to turn around instantly. I wouldn't know what the hell... A naval authoritative zone is. Should I be saluting? Should I be on a boat? That makes no sense to me at all. What am I, seven? Seven, sure. All sources of this story quote each other, or should I say, quote just one source. The oldest posting of this story goes back to abovetopsecret.com forum in 2004, but that one seems to link back to caller 
Pat Garrett, who called into Mary Sutherland's show, Bufo Paranormal and UFO Radio, back in 2004. There is no corroboration anywhere. One of the original posts said that there is a recorded transcript and never provides it, and I bet money it's that recorded copy of the radio show call-in. Look, I looked into Mary Sutherland's show, and Mary Sutherland herself. I'm sure she's a very nice person. Look, she's into the paranormal, so I would never want to slam somebody without proof that they're a complete fraud. So I'm not saying that Mary Sutherland is a complete fraud. I'm just saying that it seems like in 2004, this quote radio show, which was online, was nothing more than entertainment. And it sounds to me like someone gave her one hell of a story and this story just won't go away. I looked into this thing for like a good hour and the rabbit hole of trying to find out where it actually came from. It'll pop up in 2004. Then it pops up again in 2006. Then about every two years since then, someone regurgitates this story without ever finding out if it's true or where it even came from. Most of the time, it is literally a carbon copy of a site, which is a carbon copy of the story from another site and a carbon copy of that story from another site ad nauseum. Alrighty, like I said, I spent hours going down that rabbit hole. So, uh, let's just move on, shall we? Up next is a quick one with no names that I can't verify anything about. So this one, well, I gave you my thoughts and feelings about the last one. This one, you're gonna have to make up your own mind about. It happened in McAllister, Oklahoma, just before the Korean War in 1950. Three men went exploring in a cavern beneath what, beneath what they described as a, quote, haunted mound. This was an area where people had seen ghost lights, cattle mutilations, plus there was supposedly a lot of missing people and missing livestock there, so something was going on in this, quote, haunted mound. All right, so they're going deeper and deeper into the cavern underneath the haunted mound when they stumble upon a stone staircase. And this stone staircase disappeared down into a, quote, bottomless shaft. That's right, it just kept going down. The stairs just kept going down. So, down the stairs they went. And they go further and further. Now, the story says they go about a mile down, but I seriously wouldn't have a clue what a mile of stairs looks like. So let's just say they went for a long time. They were just kept walking downstairs. Finally... They say, screw this, and they start to head back up. Or at least they think they do. When they realize that the guy that was in the lead wasn't behind them anymore. Then they hear a scream from below, and then a gunshot. So, the first guy, the one that was in the very front, that they thought, oh my god, where the hell is that guy? We were turning around to go back up. He comes running up the stairs, yelling at them about hairy animal men that had just attacked him on the stairs and to run for it. He then showed them some, quote, yellowish liquid as proof. Proof of something. I don't have a clue what that was about. And they all ran back up the stairs, which you got to admit would be a great workout. You got a group of hairy animal men. You're in dark stairs about a mile down. You got yellow goop on you. There was a gunshot. You're running for your life. That is good cardio. So 
It might be the only way that would make me ever want to walk a mile of stairs, I'll tell you that. Okay, let's mix things up a little bit and talk about a different kind of cave-dwelling cryptid. This one is from Papua New Guinea, and it's called the Ropin. Now, I talked about the Ropin very briefly, like I mentioned it a long time ago on an old episode. I was talking about the Ahuls, but this time, let's focus on some Ropin sightings. Oh, I guess it would be helpful if I told you what a Ropin is. So a Ropin is a pterosaur-like living, flying dinosaur bird, basically. It's a pterosaur. You look at it and you go, that's a pterodactyl, because most people, when they see pterosaurs, they think that's a pterodactyl. So that's what a Ropin is. It's a living dinosaur. The very first Ropin tales that I can really find are is probably like the most famous ones. One takes place just after World War II when Western missionaries were going into the jungles and the remote islands of Papua New Guinea to, quote, save native peoples. So they start hearing locals talk about a flying creature called the Ropin, which supposedly means demon flyer. The locals warned them to stay away from the Ropin. They said, don't go into the caves. Make sure you stay away from the Ropin. Now, because of these missionary tales, the Ropin started making their ways around the world that's how we really got their first glimpse of what was going on in Papua New Guinea and the cryptids there. Another tale is from Dwayne Hodg Hodgkinson. Yeah, Dwayne Hodgkinson, who was stationed east of Lye near Finshaven in Papua New Guinea as part of the part of the Army Cavalry Unit in August of 1944. Still, still around the same time. About noon, he was walking down a trail through a clearing in the forest when he was startled by a loud noise in the brush. He says he stood there in amazement when a very large, very large flying dinosaur flew up from the brush and into the air. Hodgkinson was an experienced pilot. Now, he estimated the wingspan to be about 25 feet long. He said the ropen are dark gray coloration with a long serpentine neck, beak, and distinctive head crest. Now, the locals say the ropen are traditionally nocturnal and live in caves, so Dwayne must have startled it, and he said that they had uh, leathery wings like a bat, a long tail with a flange on the end, a beak filled with teeth, and razor-sharp claws. These things are not something you wanted to mess with. The locals or natives, whatever you want to call them. Now, they've known about the Ropin forever, and in fact, there's a little, like, side note kind of a fun fact. There's a 1595 sea chart that shows a flying creature with a long neck and serpent-like body just above the islands of New Guinea. Anyhow, so like I said, these Ropin, they're said to live and sleep in the caves deep in the jungles. So here are some eyewitness testimonies found online that I have no way to know if they're real. So here we go. The first one is from Patty Carson. Her sighting was in 1965 at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. So nowhere near Papua New Guinea. When she was about six years old, she immediately tried to tell her family about, quote, the flying dinosaur, but they did not believe her. At least not at first. Within about a year or so, her sister saw what may have been the same species of pterosaur, and her older brother also had a sighting. Next up, we have Brian Hennessy, a psychologist. He said he saw the large, long-tailed flying creature on Bougainville Island in New Guinea in 1971. Now, he did not say the word pterodactyl when reporting his sighting to Whitcomb in 2006, but he did not say anything that contradicted the possibility that it was a pterosaur. 
Okay. Dwayne Hodgkinson. You already heard about him. Gideon Coro, native of Umboy Island in Papua New Guinea, was interviewed face-to-face -face in 2004 in his village. Now, he estimated the length of the tail at the rope to be about 7 meters. Not 7 feet, but 7 meters. It was obviously no fruit bat. Gideon was one of seven boys who had hiked up to the crater Lake Pung around 1993 or 1994. This sighting by seven boys was in clear daylight as the ropen flew over the surface of Lake Pung. Eskin Kuhn, a U.S. Marine who saw two pterodactyls flying together at close range to Eskin at a fairly low elevation in 1971 at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Second one for Cuba. Now, he sketched them from memory, and it's uh, two long-tailed pterosaurs, and he said, I know exactly what I saw, and that's what I saw. Two eyewitnesses from Lakewood, California. Two sisters each had a sighting of a long-tailed, dragon-like flying creature near the same backyard. Their sightings, however, were made with each sister unaware of the other's encounter, and these views were in different years. Sandra Paradise. This young lady saw a huge pterodactyl that flew in front of her car while Sandra was driving east of Winder, Winder, Georgia, early one morning in August of 2008. She was shocked but quickly phoned a friend to report what she had encountered. Perth, Australia. Two eyewitnesses. December of 1997. A couple was taking a walk between two residential neighborhoods well into the evening when they saw a approaching flying creature. Even at a distance, it looked huge. As it flew closer, it became obvious this was a gigantic pterosaur. The husband, who was a scientist, estimated the wingspan between 30 and 50 feet. The tail was very long, and the creature appeared to have no feathers. It may have had fine hair or small scales, but it was too difficult to make that out completely. Last one, Susan Wooten. This young lady was driving on a major country highway in South Carolina around 1986 when a huge, long-tailed, featherless creature flew in front of her car. She was shocked as a number of drivers and other cars pulled over to the side of the highway to watch the pterosaur. So there's a lot of very different people seeing the exact same thing pretty much all over the world. We got Australia, we got New Guinea, we got Cuba, we got America a few times. So it seems that these ropen or these pterosaurs or these pterodactyls or whatever the hell you want to call them, are still seen to this day. And I should, as a little footnote, I know I've talked about this in the past as well, the Native Americans had what was called a Thunderbird, which a lot of people think is the exact same thing as a Ropin, the exact same thing as a Pterosaur. Okay, if you ever want to investigate Ropins more, please be aware of one name, Jim Bloom. If you see this name, it means huge. I'm talking huge, huge, salt lick sized grain of salt time. He has been disproved in many photos and many videos when he says, oh, look, I caught ropens on film only to have very clear or pretty clear videos and pictures of the female great frigate bird, a known, quote, not cryptid, regular old big ass bird. So... In my opinion, and my opinion only, don't bother with his stuff. Since science disproves every one of his videos to date, every one of his photos to date. Also, that same man, once again, Jim Bloom, is a creationist that thinks if he can find a living dinosaur, that's proof the Earth is only 6,000 years old. 
How is that? Hey, Jim, explain that one to me. Is he going to ask to see the Ropin's ID to see how old it is? He does realize that even if he does find one, that does not mean that that Ropin has been alive the entire time. He knows how species continue, how they breed, right? Seriously, Jim, please tell me you know how babies are made. So, again, my opinion and my opinion only, please check out Ropin videos. There's a ton of them online. But if you see the name Jim Bloom attached to it, in my opinion, what I would do is I would hit skip. Okay, so that about does it for this episode. There are a lot, and I mean a lot, of underground, tunnel, sewer, cave cryptids from all over the world. I barely touched on any international ones at all. For that, I apologize. I really don't like it when I stick to just America or Canada or North America, whatever you want to call it. I really like the international ones, and I apologize that there weren't a lot of international ones here. I guess Papua New Guinea, but still. There are a ton more of those kind of cryptids. I guarantee you there's going to be another episode in the very near future, well, hopefully near future, about underground cave, sewer, and tunnel cryptids. Once again, I'm your host, Kurtz. Oh, I forgot to ask you guys questions. Hold on. What do you guys think? Do you guys think that the pterosaurs could still be alive? I'd like to think they are. I really would. I think it would be awesome if we found dinosaurs in the jungles of New Guinea. I don't think personally that there's a bunch of pterosaurs still flying around in America. Could be. Big enough place. There's a lot of spots for them to hide. But I would lean more to the fact that we find them in jungles. Really crazy deep jungles. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you guys think that there's still pterosaurs out there? Do you guys think that there is a Cabbage Town Tunnel monster or other, or any other hairy wild men that live in the tunnels or the caves or the sewers? Would you go down into the sewers under Toronto in the Cabbage Town Tunnels? Would you go looking for the Cabbage Town Tunnel monster to see what it says to you? Alrighty, I think that's a bunch of questions. I think it's enough. Once again, I am your host, Kurt Sandvig. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. Don't worry, I've got a lot more episodes in me and a lot more episodes coming to you very quickly. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Ah, uh, do it, ah, uh, do it, yes, sir, it's not more, no, it's not actually back.